0: This podcast is sponsored by Autodesk. Autodesk has been a part of the design conversation since 1982, providing the tools that help architects around the globe imagine and create beautifully designed, memorable buildings
1: that people love and admire. Thank you to Autodesk for supporting the work of Practice Disrupted and helping us bring the architecture community together, sparking curiosity and leading vibrant and necessary conversations with the industry's visionaries and thought
2: leaders. I'm Evelyn Lee, and I'm Janine
1: Chastain. We're collaborating on curated conversations to explore how the industry of architecture is changing. Together, we'll find ways to create
0: new solutions to current challenges while elevating the value of architects.
1: Welcome to Practice Practice Disrupted. Disrupted. Hello,
0: listeners.
1: Hello, Janine. Hi, Evelyn. Hi, Disruptors. As a mother
0: and an architect, I am excited to bring Gloria back to the podcast to talk about all things motherhood, architecture, and mentorship as a lead up to Mother's Day weekend.
1: Yes. And I think the last episode that she joined us on was part of our diversity equity series on international architects. But today we wanted to take a deeper dive into the experience of trying to practice as an architect and raise children. And in addition to that, Gloria is also a business owner, so she'll be able to address that as well.
0: Yeah. So, and above and beyond that, she is still very invested in her architectural community. So Gloria has been giving back to the architecture community since as long as I've known her. And I I don't, wow, Gloria, I don't even know how long we've known one another.
2: Since 2019.
0: 2019. Okay. Well, you obviously know how long we've known each other. So you're an architect licensing advisor for the state of Florida through AIA Florida NCAR. She is the treasurer of the Board of Directors for AIA Tampa Bay, where she also serves as the chairperson of the Women in Architecture Committee, and she is also a founder of Foreign Architects. We will link that other podcast episode down in the show notes too. It's a private online community where she mentors young and aspiring immigrant architects on how to obtain their architect license in the United States. So thank you so much for joining us, Gloria.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so glad of being back. Yeah, we're glad to have you back. So for the audience
0: members who may not know who you are, although I imagine a lot of them do, do you mind giving us a very kind of (laughs) brief overview of your career and kind of the, the major milestones, including not only the book publication, but like the major life milestones that you've had, including motherhood?
2: Yes. So, you know, I am originally from the Dominican Republic and I used to have a business back there. I started my business actually right when I got out of school in 2009. And the reason why was because I was working in an architecture firm since 2004 and I felt pretty confident by the time I finished school that I could practice and I came to the United States in 2015 after I married my husband, Jeremy, and, you know, I thought I could just transfer my business here, which didn't happen because obviously my license was not valid here. And I had to go through the whole process of, you know, getting licensed here and all that because I, I wanted to be able to fully practice. I, I I got a job and worked for that company four years uh, while I was working uh you know, to get my license here. But my intention was always being able to to work independently. Like I wanted to be able to still have my business at some point and you know, call my projects mine. So I got my license. That was another big milestone for me. I got my license in 2019, which is when I met you. Um, and just to give you a little bit of a reminder, we met in the AIA, at the main AIA conference in 2019. That's that's where we met. Uh, I think it was in Las Vegas, isn't it? I think Probably. it was Vegas. I
0: feel like we might have been like conversing on social, maybe a little bit before then.
2: Yeah. Social media definitely was before that because it's through the whole process, but like in person, yes. my first time I met you in person was there. And, and, you know, and then after that I got pregnant and of 2019, that was another big milestone because uh, if anybody have read my book, i kind of hold to start growing my family uh, for several reasons. But when I was licensed, I said, okay, we're ready. And thankfully I got pregnant right away with uh, my first pregnancy and. And when I had my baby in 2020, which is in the middle of the whole pandemic and all the lockdowns and all that, because it was June 2020, I wasn't ready to go back uh, full time to my previous job because of several scenes. The major really was that because of the pandemic, I didn't get to enroll my daughter in any daycare or anything because everything was closed and nobody wanted to see anybody in person. And it was just kind of hard to uh, navigate that so they didn't want me to come part-time and it was like, well, what am I going to do with my baby? <laughs> it's like, something's going to give. And, you know, my husband encouraged me. He, he always has been my biggest supporter. And he said, you know, you have your license, you had a business before. This is like the one sign you were <laughs> waiting from God of like what to do next. Uh, why don't, why don't we try it? And if it doesn't work, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen? That was one question I asked myself several times. And the worst thing that could happen, I thought it would be just having to get another job. Just knowing that it didn't work and just going back to working for somebody. And I handled that for a while and it was fine. I didn't die <laughs> for it. So it wasn't that bad of a thought. And I, you know, I, I tried it and I started Glow Architects in end of 2020 and I'm still going, still working.
0: <laughs> How old was Nova at that point?
2: She was about, uh, when we formally started, Was she was four months old. Because the, the problem was when my maternity leave, those 12 weeks finish, is when I was trying to negotiate going back to work kind of part time. And they said no. There was a couple of internal things happening in the company at the moment that I guess, didn't allow them for me to come back part-time, but I just needed to put myself and my family first. And and that's what I did. And I'm, I'm glad I did because I feel that deep in my heart, I was ready. I wanted to start my business, but I think I was, one, comfortable with the payroll and kind of being, you know, knowing that every month and every two weeks I was going to get that, you know, paycheck, the security, and then the the insurance, like health insurance was good, which when you have a small business, sometimes that can be challenging too. Uh, So the security was good, but, but then now the freedom and all the things I've been able to do for my family and myself by owning my business is just priceless. That's a lot
1: of change all in a short amount of time, including during the pandemic. I guess I'm wondering... And I know we're going to get into it further, but what is that transition like when you go from not having a child to all of a sudden you have a new responsibility and you're thinking about trying to pick back up all these other things that you had previously been probably doing really continuously up until that point?
2: Mm -hmm. And I think especially when you have a mindset of, you know, I, I don't want to stop working because that's the main thing. I think I have a lot of friends and family that when they have kids, they made a a decision of, I'm going to be a stay-at-home mom. And sometimes that's permanent and sometimes it's temporary. And and all that is fine because again, at the end, what matters is what's best for you and your family. But then there's some of us that want to be doing both at the same time. And it can be challenging because it's tricky, right? And I think when I the biggest blessing I think I had at that moment was that the first three months I was still an employee and I, you know, I worked for that company four years. So I think I kind of earned those three months (laughs) without feeling any guilt of, you know, leaving them after, but I was able to fully focus on myself and my baby. And I had challenges uh, as a mother initially related to my baby being born with tone ties and breastfeeding was super crazy for me initially and a lot of stuff that has nothing to do with my career it was all related to motherhood itself right so i was i was able to focus just on my baby and me those first 3 4 months which was looked very different this time around because now i own a business so that part of like being completely disconnected for 3 4 months just didn't happen and, and i would like to talk about that when we get more deep into the conversation but i think the transition best thing I learned is that it's just really important being able to have that time because nobody, there's so many books, so many podcasts, so many videos everywhere, like YouTube stuff that you can find, uh, blogs, you know, and people around you that will give you advice, sometimes solicited and sometimes unsolicited advice. (laughs) But you can learn so much from all the information that is out there and you're still not fully prepared for what comes to you the way it hits you. Motherhood can heal you and take you to the bottom of yourself, (laughs) literally, because every baby, every pregnancy, every baby, every mother, every situation that you are at, like you can be a single parent, you can have a very supportive couple. You may have a couple, but maybe that person is not supportive at all. You might have family around you, or you might be like me, that all my family from my side, is all in the Dominican Republic. My only family right now is my husband's family, so it just looks very different. And the way you approach things, it's it's something that you have to figure out as you go, in combination with what you learn from others and what you read and what you you know put into it to research and kind of educate yourself about it. If that makes sense.
0: I have a question going back to one of your early res- earlier responses about when you decided to kind of start down the path of motherhood because you said you waited until kind of after you finished your licensing exams. For me, it was like there's no time that's a good time (laughs) to start. And the realities of pregnancy when you get later in life, too, is that you don't know if it's going to work right away or if it's going to be a really long journey. And it was just also a scary one for me from like identity being this very much similar to you are this career driven person. And like, what is the motherhood layer on top of all of that? So I guess, did you have any, you know, what, what was your feelings around timing and did you have any, are you somebody who always knew from the beginning you wanted to be a mother and this is something you were born to do? I was definitely not one of those. How did, how did that story kind of unfold for you?
2: So I always, if you read my book, I've, I've talked about it from the beginning. I just always knew I wanted to be a mother. I just dream about it. To me, it was like in my head, there was something about like feeling that it was like the culmination of the scenes I wanted in life. It was like one of those items that I definitely wanted besides all the other scenes. One thing that it, it's very it was clear for me was that it wasn't the only scene I wanted to do, but I do agree with you. And that's one of the things that I also touch based on my book is I personally regret that I waited that long because I kept telling myself, I'm not ready yet. I know I want it, but I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I can't do this right now. It's not going to work if I get pregnant right now. Like, how am I going to, you know, balance all these and I need to get this done first and then that, and then that can happen. Right. I was trying to be very methodic about it. And I'll tell you what. Thank God I got pregnant right away with Nova, my first one, because we said, OK, we're ready. Let's go to Europe. And we went to Europe um, September 23rd, I think it was. And October 3rd, we were in London and about to take the flight back from our two weeks vacation. And then I felt nausea. And I remember I look at my husband and I said, there's no freaking way I'm pregnant because we just started crying. And I was pregnant with Nova and here she is. So it was pretty fast, but I think I took that for granted because with Neil, we experienced a completely different story. We tried for almost a year and had two miscarriages in the, in the process. I can't get even emotional thinking about it because we tried so hard to have this second baby. And if that would have been my first experience I probably would have been even discouraged about like, maybe I'm not meant to be a mother, you know, and things and just work different. But I think from my experience with this whole scene is, I completely 100% agree with you that you cannot plan for these scenes. I was lucky the way that it, it unfolded for me because I planned for it the first time and it worked perfectly right by the book of how I planned it. But then it didn't happen that way. You know, I planned for the second. I said, oh, I'm going to wait until nobody's one year old. That's the perfect, that's the perfect age <laughs> for the whole thing to happen. And then we're going to get pregnant right away and we're going to have the second. And that's not what happened. And guess what? I I think it it just took me off guard. It took me off guard because I, I thought that type of things I could also plan and manage. And you can't. And I believe now that I've learned all the things that I've learned with how to handle architecture and my career and all my entrepreneurship stuff and and all my mentorship stuff that I do for the community and motherhood and being a wife and, you know, that you can definitely do this. There's just certain things that you should know on how to handle it. And if you get those tools that are available to you and use them. You can you can be a mother as early or as late as you want. Like I just feel that I'm a huge advocate now of not delaying it because you think you can't do it. Like if there's any other reason, fine. Because everybody is different, and I think again you have to do what's best for you and your family. But I am a huge advocate of like don't wait because you think you're not ready. Just. If you have the person you want to be and start that family, go for it. Because it's just, you never know how it's going to really work. You you don't know if you're going to get pregnant right away or not. You don't know if you will have infertility issues or whatever it is. Like, it just, to me, it's like, there's never a perfect time. And, and I learned that the hard way, I think.
1: Did either of you ever feel afraid or was there any fear about going through this process of either getting pregnant or the birthing process or even just transitioning your life to become a parent?
2: I was terrified. And I think that fear was embedded in me because of things that I heard around me since I was little. I had a lot. I don't know if everybody experience the the scenes that I experienced, but I also talk about that in my book. But I have a huge fear of whenever I will start being a mother, it was just going to be the end of my career, like the death of it. Because I had so many people around me that kind of just the way they will talk about the whole scene made me feel and think mistakenly that you can't be a good mother. And I think that good mother is a key word because yeah, you can be a mother, but then, you know, like it doesn't mean necessarily that you're a good mother because, oh my gosh, if you're like a career driven person, you know, it made me always feel that I was just going to be feeling guilty and having this mom guilt because I wasn't going to be present for my kids. And I was not going to be the good mother that a stay home mom could be, you know, and I think there was a lot in my brain that developed from those conversations around me. And it's to me, now that I am here, it's all lies. It's a lot of, of uh, misconception. And, and I always say that like people tend to talk or, or tell you that something can be done based on their own limitations or the things they know. And that doesn't necessarily applies to you. Like you, you know, it's not, you're a a unique person with unique skills. So you kind of have to try things on your own, like figure things out.
1: So the book that we keep referencing is titled The Architecture of Motherhood, which was published in 2022. When did you start writing the book?
2: I started writing that book early 2021. Uh, It was a little bit after Nova uh, was born. I will say she was like maybe six to seven months. Because I remember it was probably late 2020, early 2021 when I like started putting the first scenes in place. What inspired me to do it was that a friend of mine actually published a book, Chad Diamond. He's, you know... You know Chad, he's like he's the guy who always helps my Crisica with like all the videos and stuff. He published a book. And I remember talking to him and saying, "Oh my gosh, I've been having this idea of writing this one book and I have no idea how to start." And he sent me a little one-sheet guide that he had and said, "Like maybe this will help you. This is what helped me." And I used that as a way to start putting together like the titles and how to organize my, you know, my storytelling and and the whole scene. But yeah, it, it was early because I, I think one of the things that was good for me was I really wanted to start like um, kind of writing down some of the experiences I was having in uh, experiencing myself in flesh with Nova. And then like when I, you know, I just started the business around a couple of months before that. So it was kind of like, oh, I can do this, or this is something that we did and it worked. I wish I could tell this to other people because it's possible, you know? So I started kind of writing down some of those scenes and it slowly became this book.
0: I feel like there's such courage behind what you did because there's so many people that talk about doing something as big as taking on a book. And I think there's so, there's very few people who kind of actually go ahead and share as personally as you did about their own story with the hope that others can learn from, from those lessons. Can you tell us a little bit about the book writing process and what, even the things as you put together your own story that you might have learned about yourself through that process?
2: Wow. Okay. Well, there's a couple of scenes in that. One is definitely writing Writing is hard, I think, uh, especially if you're not a professional writer, right? <laughs> Let's start with that. I'm not a professional writer. And then I was trying to write a book in a language that is my second language, which made it even harder. I think if I will have written this in Spanish, maybe the process will have been a little bit less challenging, I guess. But writing a second language is just, it was just something for me that I, I kept like making my husband reread what I was writing, making sure I didn't have typos and all that kind of stuff. It's just you know, this 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 was one of the things that I struggled the most, I will say that, that English English is a second language. But then there's there's one scene that I've learned in, in my process with this book is that there's a lot more involved in writing a book than just putting together your manuscript because you have to think a lot on how the People who will read the book will perceive it, uh, how you are really helping. It's not just about maybe telling your story, if it's a personal story or like whatever is the lesson you're trying to teach others is, it's really about them, not about you because, you know, who I am, like, uh, you know, I'm just Gloria, uh, but it's like, what is the, what is the, the. I guess the golden nuggets, what is the advantage for anybody to read this book? It's, it's what really, at some point it became real to me to, to understand, okay, I'm writing this book, but how can I make it that someone really finishes the book and feels, oh my gosh, I really got like, you know, three, four or five scenes that are like, I just didn't think about it was right in front of me and it's so valuable and I'm so thankful I read this book, you know, so making sure that when you're doing it, you know, it's, it's about what you're giving back, right? What are people taking from it? The other thing too, and that goes with the part of, you know, how the second language was a challenge was understanding that I needed to be very disciplined. And and to your point of like a lot of people talk about doing it and then they don't do it is discipline was key, consistency. Like I I learned that I needed to, to be able to finish the book. I needed to dedicate at least 15 minutes each day to writing. And sometimes it was way more than that. Sometimes I would like get so deep into what I was writing that I would spend like two hours after Nova was down for the night, you know, and I will like start writing and just get like so into it. And I would spend like two hours on it. And sometimes I just didn't have two hours. I had like 10, 15 minutes. But the most important scene was that I never stop. I never let it sit and and just, like, forget and kind of get, like, cold in the process, if that makes sense. Like, I I kept it going. And I honestly learned that from that ARE bootcamp with Michael Risica because <laughs> one of the things you learn in that bootcamp is with the exams, the ARE exams is, like, as long as you keep going, that you don't stop, you're still making progress, right? And I think that's that that applies to the book. Like I, as as long as I didn't stop, it didn't matter if I only wrote like two paragraphs; it was still progress. Versus like me stopping for two, three weeks and then trying to remember where was I with the book? What you know? What was the part of the story I was trying to tell? Where I was going with this with this part I was writing? It's really hard to go back, especially when you're already you know, a parent and when, you have, say, responsibility. when you have a mommy brain. Have... <laughs> oh my gosh, that scene is real. I even yeah. <laughs> read somewhere that there's something about like, like a, there's part of your brain that shrinks. I don't know if it's true, but I remember reading. I'm like, is that true? Is that why I keep forgetting scenes lately? I don't know. But definitely I, you know, you just like, you just struggle, like scenes get like really foggy. And and I think for me, it was very important, the consistency and the discipline. Another thing I, I, learn in the process of writing this book was this, you know, storytelling really helps others to relate with you. Uh, some of the chapters, originally, I started just kind of telling them what to do, if that makes sense. Oh, this is what I learned. And if you do this, then you will get there or like you will get that. And and then I will read it back and it, I just couldn't relate to it myself. It just like, it just didn't, it just didn't, register for me and if it didn't register for me who I was the one writing it, just imagine someone who wouldn't even know me. So I made sure that in every part of the book I always start with the storytelling where I could share that a specific real life experience I was going through that either taught me something, it was related to that what one, one chapter what I was trying to every time I chose a chapter title, it was with an intention. There was a lot of intention. This is, this one chapter is going to be about that. And I'm trying for them to learn this one thing I learned. So how do I transfer that information to them in a way that is not boring? It's interesting. It keeps them wanting to read. That's the other thing too. It's like, you don't, you don't want to be so technical. In my opinion, that is like a textbook. Of, <laughs> I'm not a technical I mean, person. I agree. Right. Right? Yeah. And like, if you're like, I mean, especially architects, after we have to go through the ARE, I did not want to read. I don't want to read. Let me clarify that. Say that better. I do not want to read anything again that is so dried and technical. There's no way I will just fall asleep while doing it. So I made sure that I was doing a good storytelling on each chapter. And I think that worked because I've got really good feedback from people that I've got a couple of men that have read the book saying, I cried reading your book. Two men have told me that. So to me, that's like a big hit. Honestly, I wasn't expecting that.
0: No, I think that's like, that makes it so much I mean, storytelling, well, there's a whole, there is science behind storytelling and kind of memorable, like the, how much longer you remember things that you learn through storytelling. So yeah. mm-hmm.
2: another thing I learned with the book writing is that, you know, imposter syndrome is a real scene. I, I've known I've felt it several times with different parts of my life, but like, it really hit hard with the book because I kept asking myself, oh my gosh, who is going to read this book? Is this really something that anybody will care for? Like, am I really enough to, like, who I am, you know, who I am to write this book, who I am to tell others about motherhood when I just have one baby at that point, you know. Now I have two, but I only had a baby when I wrote the book. And it's just like there's a lot of uh, self-doubts that came because it always – it, it, it always comes back to you kind of questioning, like, are you enough? Is, is this really important? Will anybody ever care? And I think at the end of the day, what you need to do is putting it together and knowing that you're doing it for a good reason, that you are putting others before you, that you're really trying to transfer a good information, something valuable information for others to help others. And the people who might relate to Whatever it is that you're trying to share, they will find find it and they will relate to it because there's other people that feel the same fears that you feel, that want the same things that you want, that maybe want to be where you are at right now. And you sharing how you got there is enough for them to feel either inspired, learn from it, whatever it is, is always valuable. So that was one thing. Also, too is imposter syndrome is real, but you can completely overcome and just like by keeping that those whys of why you started the book in first place, you know right in front of you every time
0: i so I so much to cover, and I think everything that you just said, I think people I, I know a number of people that would be surprised that an individual like yourself even has imposter syndrome right like they've seen you give talks they've so like wait what gloria like had to deal with this <laughs> while she was going through the writing of the book i think they might be surprised to hear that but but to that end, and through the stories in your, in your book too, I appreciate the transparency and honesty that you've kind of always had with your, your audience and, your, and the struggles that you've had to persevere through. I imagine there's so much you learned in the writing of the book that you can kind of apply to the marketing and promotion even of your business and how you begin to tell, tell stories about the work that you're doing. Is that something where you like took those lessons and kind of applied them to, to Glow? as you move forward?
2: Well, I will say maybe work a little bit backwards because okay. I feel that I I got to promote Glow way before I got to pl- promote the book, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I got really good traction with Glow by the time the book was published. I had really good projects going on with Glow. So I think I actually was backwards. Like the scenes that I applied to grow, glow and promote it and let people know is what I use with the book. But I think, yes, it will apply backwards too, if it will have been the other way, because it's, it was pretty much the same techniques. I, I did a lot of social media. I, I kind of let people know that I was doing it when I was, when it was ready enough. And, and I, you know, and I start sharing little bits of it, little bits of it so people will get excited and, and all that. So I think it's very similar to what I did with Glow Architects because I did something similar. I let people know that I was starting a business and then I started sharing some of the projects and then, you know, these are that. So I think, I, I think yeah, what I learned with the business is what I applied to the book and it totally worked because we became bestseller in like nine categories of 10 that, I, that we put the book on and it was pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, I think what's been interesting about your approach and that is like you're you're building and and telling your story, you're telling your story as you're building. So you have this very like much firsthand account of what's, what's going on. I feel like when so many architects start a business, they want to have like, they want to have their portfolio of projects before they even let people know that they're starting a business. Like they're scared to even take that step, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... So there's a lot more to Glow than just the name of your firm. So if I haven't bought your book, like you know, what do you hope that mothers could take away from your book? And and like, what what's your elevator picture? Why should I go out and pick up your book? You know, and what can I expect to to get out of it? Besides all of these amazing stories and firsthand accounts,
2: there is a lot of. It's funny because the, there's a, like an ac- acronym on my book that all the chapters form this how to glow with every start of each chapter. So for example, the age is like happily ever architect. And I kind of talk about my, you know, my early times as becoming an architect and all that and so and so. But the last four chapters is the glow part, And it's, it talks, it's, it's the one, it's, those chapters are the ones that are like very focused on on the lessons learned that i had for you know motherhood and balancing what was important that the keys to success for me as, as a mother, while being a a business owner and architect, right. You know, balancing my professional life with motherhood. And I think if, if there's one thing I would want people to get is is specifically that is like how to glow, because it's funny that word is like, you know, when you get pregnant is the one that everybody tells you. Everyone's
0: glowing. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Like, well, then you have the baby and the glow just disappears. Right. But it was like, well, my business, really, I call my business Glow because that was a, a nickname when I was in college. People used to call me Glow because I'm Gloria, right? So it was like, it only felt right to call it Glow. And also, too, it's like, it's an enlightening word. I, I, it just, it was, it felt right to call my business Glow, but it also went so connected to what I was trying to say with the book because it's like, how do you stay glowing? when you become a mother and you want to be a business person, like how do you keep that glow going? And, and I think that's, that's, if anybody gets anything from the book is how to get that glow and that glow comes with balance, with uh, knowing yourself, with delegating, with, with finding help, you know, growing your support system and all the other stuff that I talk about in the book. It I think one of the things also that I shared in the book for anybody that you know, it's, it's a mother or not is I am a believer, I have big faith. And I talk a lot about my faith in the book, I share that boldly. And I I, I knew that maybe it was not gonna resonate with some people. But I wanted to make sure that for those that maybe needed a little bit of encouragement and, and kind of like reassurance with, within their own faith that they could find that and see how my faith helped me throughout the process of my career and motherhood too. So that was one of the things that is all over. There's so much sprinkle of my faith and how that played a part on my on my own journey too. So that was one of the things I wanted to make sure that people will get from the book. It's a pretty much glorifying Jesus in, in, in my book is what I wanted to do. So.
0: Yeah, but that's one of the things that I like constantly appreciate about you is you always continue to show up as your whole self, <laughs> right? And I think, and that was something that I struggled with for the longest time is like, how do, do I compartmentalize these things and do I separate them out?
2: Because you're always nervous that people that may not agree with that part of you Will reject you, right? Right. Is that part of that imposter syndrome that comes back to it? It's pretty much that. Is yeah. the the question of us thinking, is that is this part of me good enough? Should I let others know that this this is part of who I am too? I I get it, and I felt it. I've been there.
0: Yeah, but I think like you obviously want pe- like, you know how how do you know if people really like you and all the parts that make you up? I- and, and how do you connect with people if you aren't telling, like, like if you aren't showing up wholly, I think is, is, is ultimately like, the, the story is like so much more narrow, right? And it's just so much harder to build connections. So it took me a while to get there. but but I But I've appreciated just like your, like, I don't know if you would call it radical candor or just your candor or transparency of how you continuously show up as your whole self. No matter what the audience,
2: I think there is a part of me too that I just don't know how to be any other way. <laughs> so it's like it is what it is.
0: <laughs> no, that's fair. So obviously, you wrote this book for mothers, but you mentioned that there's been a few gentlemen that have picked up the book and have cried from your stories. Do you think, and is there an opportunity, or you know, is are there lessons to be learned from from allies that would? that would read the book and, and what they could get out of it.
2: Definitely, because I mainly wrote it for mothers in architecture. But I think any, let's start with the, the, fact, the fact that any, anyone who wants to be a mother and wants to have a career can benefit from the book, not only architects. Let's start with that. It's not only for architects, really, right. because the things that I teach in the book and I talk about and I share are not just, it doesn't apply only for architecture. That's one scene. Then the second part is it doesn't only apply for if you're a mother. It it also applies if you're a father, too, because some of the sins that I'm talking about in that GLOW chapters, the, the last four chapters, it doesn't matter. It's not just for the mother. It's also for the father. It's, it's principles and techniques that. It, it, it applies either or. And then the last thing is there's other things it either if you want to be to grow your family or not at the moment that I talk about that can be really inspiring. Like there's people that have read the book just because they're immigrant architects and they have no interest right now on starting a family, but just because they wanted to read about how I accomplished, you know, coming to the United States and becoming a licensed architect. And there's people that relate to the book because, you know, it's not only being an immigrant, but also starting a business itself. I, I shared at one of those last chapters, I talk about how I started my business and the things that work for me on owning a small business. And, and I share a lot of like knowledge of the things I learned in my own process that I think is super beneficial. So also to, you know, if you if you just want to start a small business, there's a full chapter where that is displayed. And I think it's the information there is actually very valuable too. So again, it's, it's for mothers in architecture, but there's a lot of other little sides of it that I think other people can benefit from it, from reading it.
0: Yeah. So now you've mentioned multiple times, you are a mother of two and I feel like we've said this with other parents, like, for us, or for me, anyways, going from one to two is not like. I feel like it's exponential. It's not like double. It's <laughs> no, no. <laughs> There's so much more to it. So you know, I, I guess, what is the person like? What is the addendum, or what is this? You know, has your perspective at all changed? You know, now that you have Neo in your life,
2: I think it. It doesn't. It hasn't changed in a way. I think it has. Yes and no. It will be the best. The best answer to that question. Yes and no. Yes, because I agree with you. It doesn't double. It's just like exponentially increased to like I don't know, one hundred percent or something <laughs> like that. The amount of work and coordination and you know the way you have to structure things and the discipline that you have to have as a as a as a mother it is just way Bigger, I will say, but no. The part of the no on my answer is because I'm just so glad I wrote the book when I had just one child. Because most of the scenes that I was applying with that, with the uh, the simplest right a, a scenario of having one child with one husband who was very supportive, I was able to take all that and like apply it to having two kids and still make it work, right? I think one of the mistakes I will say I made this time around was because I have a business and I didn't have a business initially, right? I I started a business after those first three, three, four months of life of Nova. With Neil, I did slow down. I didn't take projects at the end of the pregnancy, but I still took a big Big one opportunity that came through my way because I felt <laughs> like I couldn't say yourself. no. <laughs> I just couldn't say no to that. It was a big uh, church project that was offered to us, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how am i gonna make this work? I can't, I can't say no. I need to get it. I need to take this project. I wanted it so bad, and the re- the, the main thing is I said yes to dad, and then two more churches came after that. And they were bigger. They were double the size of the first one. So the first one was 14,000 square footage. And the second one was 45,000 square footage. And the third one is 40,000 square footage. And it's a lot. I'm still a small company. We're still a small firm. We're four of us. And... You know, it was kind of challenging because then Neo was late. He was supposed to be born in <laughs> December twenty. Kind of like we were expecting him to be a Christmas baby, and then he actually was born in December thirty first. So now we're gonna tell him that all the fireworks are for his birthday, <laughs> <on> New <laughs> Year's Eve. Right. But but you know I. I just got myself into trouble in the meaning of like, I, I still got committed to certain level of work that I probably should have said no, but because it was just a great opportunity for me and my company, I said yes. And I said, I just need to understand that I'm not gonna be the one who's gonna be doing this, this and that because I'm not gonna be able to do it uh, for the first three months. So who can do it? I need to delegate this. I need to delegate this to someone in the company that can do it for me. And then I can maybe supervise and kind of oversee what they're doing, but I know I wasn't gonna be the the one doing it, right? So yeah. that's still valid. That is still valid. That's actually the key of success with many <laughs> with many <laughs> things in, in an architectural practice, that you don't do everything yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my point is, with having a second child, it became more challenging, but it forced me to be even more given on those principles that I teach in the book, because it made me be very dependent on my team, if that makes sense. So uh, we're, we're still going. Since are going great, and and I think uh, I think that's how the perspective change or or got modified. Is yes, this is harder but if we apply the same principles then we should be okay
0: yeah no i think i mean that's an important i i feel like letting go as you as you grow and becoming more reliant trust that your hiring process got you the right people is is important and i think that's i mean that's important for any business leader right as they look to grow the company but even more so when you are juggling multiple things
2: No, I was just going to say that sometimes without intention, it's not like you plan for it. If you're not like a control freak, which most of us are, but let's say you are not, you can micromanage again unintentionally. And at the end, you just create a burden on yourself with that. And I think I think it's just important uh, to be able to, yeah, find the right team, the right team members, and and uh, train them, train them well. Take the time to train them, and then being able to trust to trust the process, and you know, know that since our transition a uh, transition to like uh, make a smooth smooth transition for people because sometimes you can throw things at them, but uh, sometimes knowing that you might still need to get some time to kind of oversee what they're doing and help them to kind of you know, grab the essence of it and then let them run with it.
0: But I also think that's such a more natural transition for you with all the mentoring and teaching that you you do outside of like business and with motherhood. Right,
2: yeah. Think about you're a mother of, like you are the biggest leader on your household. And the same same things you applied in motherhood, you pretty much applied in your business. It's crazy how related these two things are and how we keep thinking that we can do them together. So what's next for you? Maybe a third child. (laughs) joke I don't know I don't know if we're gonna have more children I sometimes I joke about it because I'm like oh maybe we could have a third one and Jeremy's like I don't know but I independently in the personal part I think uh in my professional life I think I am very into these religious buildings uh projects I'm really enjoying design, the design process with them and how like they're they don't feel so rushed like some other projects that I've work with Glow. And I, and I mentioned Glow because I had a business back in the DR and things were just really different. So my, my real reference is the, the time I worked for a company here since 2016 and mm-hmm. Glow, like me just managing my own business in the States, because things are just very different in this country from how they were back in the DR. Right. But I think these projects don't feel as rushed and it, they just feel that they really kind of, nurture is the word I'm looking for. They just nurture my soul. So I'm enjoying it really a lot. So I might try to focus on that type of projects moving forward. We'll see what happens. But also, I've been really thinking a lot how I can help more immigrants, you know, accomplish their licensing goals in the United States. And I have that foreign architects group where I mentor like the group is over 2000 people now and i'm constantly mentoring people especially in the private chats you will you will be surprised if you see the private messages i have in between instagram and facebook sometimes i don't look at it for like two two three days and i look back and it's like steady messages of people like asking questions it's a constant work full time job that i have with that that i do for free but I've I've realized that maybe I need a better system. My husband keeps telling me, like maybe if you put a couple of scenes in YouTube, like create a channel and put a couple of those things that everybody asking asks you over and over, you create a video where you're explaining that and then they you can direct them there so you don't have to like repeat in yourself, right? So all that out- automation.
0: <laughs> there's definitely probably some AI prompts that like if somebody asks a certain question, you're able to just say yes. And then it'll like, here's my here's my typical response to that question because that it's such, question. It, it keeps coming up so much. Yeah.
2: yeah. So I think that might be one of the things that I have. In, that I will have in the works in the next few. I don't. I don't want to get into it right now because Neos is still very little. He's just turning four months in the thirty-first. So I still want to be able to have a, like that extra time to spend with him. I. I. You know. I exclusively breastfeed and all that, and that's a lot of work alone. But I think when I when he's a little older, maybe a couple of months older, I probably will start working on how can I help better, serve better the foreign architects community and those who will be reaching out in the future and are in the process at the moment too. So that might be one of the things that I, that I will work in. We'll see how that unfolds.
0: So you are a part of the City Shaper book. So I want to make sure that that links ends up in the the show notes. And again, I think that's a great kind of plug for all of the work that you're doing to, to help uplift immigrant architects. But for kind of our closing question, you know, what is the biggest or most frequent piece of advice that you have for young women in the profession? And it sounds like you may have answered it earlier in the podcast, but I just want to make sure that we end on that note too, or or even for like the 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 future leaders and the the women that are looking at going into principal or partner at their firms or starting their own firms.
2: Well, one one thing that big piece of advice that I always like to tell others is, you know, a lot of people will tell you that something is impossible, that you can't do this, that there's no way, you know, that, you know, that you just can't. And I, I was told that in my book, I talk about it. I had a person specifically who literally told me that I will never get my architect license here because many reasons. And I think that what I've learned is that people that tells you that type of unsolicited advice, (laughs) I usually say those things based on their own limitations. And I believe that their limitations doesn't necessarily are your limitations. So my big piece of advice is don't let other people's limitations limit you because you can you can do this you can figure things out you are more capable stronger smarter than you might think i believe as a as a woman as a mother as an architect as a leader i believe that we have so much power within us the fact that we are able to create life alone is a miracle. So if we can't do that, like, what can't we do? So that, that would be my advice is just remember that don't let other people's limitations to limit you because you, you are way more capable than, than you might think.
1: Hi disruptors. If you like the content from today's show, you can find all of our past episodes over on practiceofarchitecture.com podcast.
0: Be a part of the conversation by
1: joining us, our speakers, and others in the community at practiceofarchitecture.com community. Our social media handle is Practice of Arc. That's practice of A-R-C-H. We'd love to hear from you, so feel free to drop us a DM and say hello. Thank you for joining us on Practice Disrupted,
0: a podcast by the practice of architecture. Tune in next week for a new conversation on change in the profession.